ever thought about what it means to be average? What is average? What is normal? What is, is there even really a normal? I uh, found some statistics. These are a couple years old, but um, let me give you on average one day in the United States. You ready? One day in the United States, this is the average. 1,169,863 people take a taxi. That's on average one day in America. Ready? Eggs. How many eggs do you think are laid on one day in America? (laughs) Eggs, chickens. You ready? 176,810,950 eggs are laid on average every day in the United States of America. That makes you proud, doesn't it? (laughs) 21,000 gallons of oil are spilled from tankers and barges every day. 63,288 cars crash on average every day. 28 male men are bitten by dogs. I, that one blew me away. I don't want to be a mailman, I don't think. Any, I just Ready for this? Two billion $1 bills are in circulation every day in America. Two billion $1 bills. That, that blew my mind too. On average, the industry generates one pound of hazardous waste for every person in America. That's industry. There are 5,962 couples who are wed every day in the United States. Every person produces nearly six pounds of garbage a day. Wow. There are, um, amateurs take 19,178,000 snapshots, photos a, a day. On average, there are 9,077 9, babies born every day in the United States. On average. When we start looking at averages, when we start looking at who we are, we start looking at even as ourselves, it's easy to become convinced that, hey, I'm just average. I, I don't, there's not much I can do. I'm just going to live my life, and that's just about what it's going to be. And I'm so excited about this next part of the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, we are beginning a new turn, a new series. The new series is average. What can God do with average people? That's the question. That's what we want to address. That's what we want to answer over the next few weeks. And who better to help us answer that than studying the 12 apostles? I don't know if you've ever looked at the 12 apostles or maybe even spent much time trying to walk with them and just understanding who they are. But as you look at the 12 apostles, you will find that not one was a scholar. Hence, all the conversations about Jesus saying, you are spiritually unknowing. You don't understand spiritual things. You're missing the point. And Jesus over and over again says, wait a minute, don't you understand? Don't you remember? There are also men who, if you could say, some of them were a little shady. Here's what I mean by that. One, one guy was a tax collector in which he was wealthy, but he would not be considered the elite of society. If anything, you would call him a cheat and a thief. Yes, he could take taxes 
legally. But on top of that, he would also take extra and above for himself. You have another guy named Simon the Zealot, who was, if you would say, a political activist, who would engage in fights for political reasons. Some of these guys were just normal, average people, fishermen. The question begins to ask for us, what can God do with average people? Have you ever felt average? Some of these men even lacked faith. And Jesus again and again says, oh, you of little faith. If you would just but trust me, and he's in the boat with them. Don't you trust me? Where's your faith? Some of these men, let's just say it this way, they were cowards. The Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, the soldiers come to take Jesus away, to go to the cross. The Bible says that they were scattered and they ran John stays with, Peter stays with just for a little while, only to what? Deny that he even knows Jesus. They were afraid. Men who lacked courage, uneducated, whom the world didn't even take notice of. And yet, what can God do with average? I'll be honest, there are so many times in which That question haunts me. You feel inadequate and you just, it just begins to overwhelm inside you and you go, God, I don't even know what I'm doing. God, I don't know. And you feel it and you just are going, I don't understand why you even chose to, why me? Because this doesn't seem to be working. You ever been there? And you just ask, wait a minute, God, why me? Because it doesn't look like I've got an average job. I'm just average. I don't have this great background. I don't have anything really to offer. Why are you using me? Why did you choose me? Why are you asking me to follow? Why me? God, why didn't you call me to be like Billy Graham? Why didn't you, have you ever been there? Just God, it would be nice if you were actually calling me to do something bigger than what I'm doing. But yet it's interesting how God uses average. And there's also times in which I know people have the question, well, wait a minute. I'm just an average person. I just teach a Sunday school class. I just teach this. I just, you know, I just serve. I just kind of in the background, I just do the sound. I just do something in the background that nobody ever sees. I'll come up and I'll just volunteer and answer phones. It doesn't seem like that's much. It's just average. But what can God do with average people. Here's what we'll find over the next few weeks. Over the next few weeks, there are going to be certain disciples that you completely identify with. You'll just, you'll be overwhelmed with how amazing their personalities actually match with yours. And you'll be going, oh good. They have faults. They have failures. Oh good. They, they mess up. Oh good. They're not really that good. And yet God still uses 
average people. Many times when you come to the disciples, here's what happens. Because we've heard about them so often, we kind of begin to elevate them as if they're super Christians. They actually take off the fisherman garb and all of a sudden they have this giant SC, super Christian, on their their shirts and the capes are flowing and here they are. They are these super Christians. And it's hard because you see paintings all around of these great men. You see monuments built to them. You even see cathedrals all across Europe and you see cathedrals even in the United States. You see their cathedrals, you see large paintings that have lasted over the centuries. And you begin to say, wait a minute, these guys are so enormous, so big. They are super Christian and I could never be like them. But here's what I hope. That God does such a work in your life and my life over the next few weeks. As we begin to study that God begins to forge deep inside your soul that God uses what you would call average, what you would call ordinary, what you would call just plain, simple John Smith. And God takes the average, and when it's given to him, he takes it so much farther. He takes the ordinary, and it becomes extraordinary. And what I want to hope see happen in our lives is this, is that as you look into your life, that God begins to forge deep inside of you. God, I desire you to use me over the next 15 years, five years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years, whatever you have left in your life. Because God desires to take average and do above and beyond with it. That's where we're headed. That's what we want to see happen. As we get into it, Matthew chapter 9, here's what begins to happen. The very last part of this chapter, the text begins to change dramatically. What begins to transition is Jesus now goes into a new phase of his ministry. Up until this point, Jesus has taught. Up until this point, Jesus is ministering. But the ministry is about to take a dramatic change. The disciples are learners. The disciples are followers. And they're about to be called to be apostles. To move from just learners to actually being apostles who are sent out to do the work of the ministry. Matthew chapter 9. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Go all the way down to the very end of the chapter to verse 35. And here's how it starts. It says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment. God, I thank you for the chance to be able to sing and to praise you and worship you. I thank you for the chance to be able to hear from your word. 
I pray that God, right now, you would minister to where we're at. I pray your spirit would have freedom to work and to move. And God, I do pray that you would move in such a way that when we hear you, God, that we would have the courage to begin to act on what we've heard. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, may be seated. My plan, my original plan when I, thank you, may be seated. My original plan was this. Back when I set the calendar for the year for my preaching and where we were headed and where we were going, my original plan was that I would cover this and cover Peter in the same day. That was even my plan up until the end of the week. And I kept wrestling and I kept wrestling. Couldn't get there. Just couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally came back to that I needed to give this passage that we just read its proper time. And as I began to head to give this passage its proper time, I became, became overwhelmed with the sovereignty of God. That God, before the year started, knew what we needed to have on this day, at this moment, at this time. And that God knew what was even going to be happening in our church through the fall and what was setting up I had no idea when I was setting it up. I had no idea. But this moment of, wow, God, you were really big. (laughs) To actually bring us to this text at this time, at this place, in the history of our church at this moment is amazing. And it's overwhelming. And as we get into it, I think you'll see why. Jesus begins, and it says, and Matthew writes and tells us that Jesus continues throughout all the cities and villages. Now, at first, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of, you know, walking, but let me just help make sure we understand the the area in which we're talking about. Josephus tells us that the area at this time considered Galilee and just a little further that Jesus is beginning to minister in and through would be considered around 40 miles wide, 70 miles deep, and that's basically a little smaller than the DFW Metroplex. It's just kind of amazing, depending on how you go north and how far wide you go. It's about the size of the Metroplex. And Jesus is walking around, and his ministry has been teaching and walking through the cities and going from place to place. Josephus also tells us that there's about 200 cities in the region and in the area at this time. Some average somewhere around 500 families, 500 homes in the towns. And then some of the other villages would bounce on up to 15,000, 20,000 for the very large ones. Overall, the amount of people that Jesus is ministering to as he begins to go through cannot be and it cannot exceed 3 million people. So you're looking at 40 miles wide, 70 miles deep, 3 million people or less. 200 cities, and Jesus is going through, and he begins to minister. And he has ministered, and up until this point, what has happened is every place he has gone, it says that he is healed. And we've heard him teaching on the side of the mountainside. We've heard his great teachings, uh, the, the Beatitudes. We've heard that. We've even seen all these great miracles that Matthew has begun to, to lay out for us. And Jesus continues 
from city to city, and crowds are following, and the disciples are, are right there with Jesus. And at this point, the disciples are nothing more than truly just walking along, spending time, and they are with Jesus, but they're not doing anything else. And here's what I want you to see is the change begins to happen as Jesus begins to go and teach. And the Bible tells us that he's teaching in their synagogues. There was an open forum in that day that if you came on the Sabbath, people would gather together and they would attend the synagogue. And then there was also a forum on Tuesdays, I mean, actually the second day of the week and the fifth day of the week that they would also gather in the synagogues as well. And if you were a person who would be considered appropriate They would allow you to speak. And that's how even Paul in his ministry, when he would go to new towns, because he could go into the city and he had the credentials, he could actually go in and he would start with the synagogue and then he would move out to the Gentiles. And so Jesus took advantage of this opportunity. So he would go from city to city and he would go and he would come into the synagogue as people were gathering and he would have the credentials and he would be able to stand and he would proclaim. And here's what would happen. This is the typical uh, Philo. He actually wrote during the time of Jesus, he actually said that the synagogues are actually a place for the exposition of the scriptures. Here's what would happen when you went to church during this time. There would be a couple songs, but after that, there would be a reading from the prophets, and after reading from the prophets, then there would be an explanation. There would be some kind of exposition given of what the prophets would say and what other people would say, explaining the text. Isn't that interesting? That's still the same format that we're using today. Matter of fact, you go throughout the Old Testament, even all the way back to Nehemiah, and it would be the same. There would be a reading of the scriptures, and then it would be an explanation, and the people would hear. So music was part of it, and at the very end of the explanation and the exposition of the scriptures, the people would say, amen, you're dismissed, and you leave. Man, that's a long history of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years of doing the same thing over and over again. So you're part of history, doing the same thing. This is what we do. Why? Because we need to hear. And there is something not magical, not supernatural, but there is something powerful about hearing the word of God read publicly and that the Holy Spirit moves and works among people, believers, so that you hear what you need to hear. Matter of fact, let me just say it this way. I've had times and places when I've preached and I've been preaching on tithing and guess what? People have gotten saved. You're like, what? And I'm just dumbfounded. Do you know why? Because that is the Holy Spirit working and moving in the midst of the expounding of the scriptures to actually minister to where you are at personally. And what happens is this, is when we're ready to hear from the word of God, when we're ready to hear from God, when the word of God is open and when the people are ready to hear What begins to happen is this, is the Holy Spirit begins to work through and what is being said and you hear and you get what you need at that moment because the Holy Spirit ministers to you individually. And there are times when people say, well, wait a minute, Heath, it seemed like you were preaching to me today. You were all over. And do you know who that is? That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit working through and in the moment, in the place, in the time, in the atmosphere and in your soul saying what you need to hear at this divine time. So that is why it's so important that we actually come back to the scriptures over and over again. You see, what drives me is this. If I get up and I speak my words and I speak what I want to speak, 
then I remove the Holy Spirit from the process. But when we get up and we look into the Word of God, whether you're in a Sunday school class, whether you're teaching kids, or whether you're teaching adults, or whether you're in a home group, wherever you're at, when you're in the Word of God, it allows the Spirit of God to actually move and minister to people where they're at. And that's what Jesus does. He goes from place to place. It says that he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? What is the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel is the good news. The kingdom is where there's the rule and reign of Jesus the Messiah. The gospel of the kingdom. See, it happens in our hearts right now and in our lives. When we submit and say, Jesus, we want you to be the Lord of our lives. And then the rest of our life, each day, it's us expanding that kingdom by obeying and doing what Jesus has asked us to be and do because he is the king and he is the ruler of our lives and we're beginning to live out the kingdom. Jesus ruling and reigning and bringing it to others. And Jesus is beginning to preach and teach who he is, what is going on and what they need to do and follow. Now follow what happens. And he goes through it, he heals every disease and every affliction. We've seen it up until this point, every city, people come with all their problems, all their pains, all their sufferings, all their hurts, all their bondage. And Jesus heals. Now here's what happens. Jesus sees the crowds. Now again, he's been traveling, he's been going through the cities And the crowds are gathering and they're getting larger and larger. And it says that when he sees the crowds, he has compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word for compassion is that his insides begin to turn. Have you ever had one of those moments? Maybe you were asked to speak in public and all of a sudden your insides begin to turn, the butterflies... Maybe it's one of those, you know that you have to maybe confront something and all of a sudden, you know when you have to confront, your insides begin to turn. Oh no, I've got to say something. I don't know if I want to say something. Been there? And you're just nervous and you begin to, your insides begin to move. Jesus looks out across and the crowds are coming. And the Everest is growing. It's getting bigger and bigger of the needs and the great need. The need that becomes so full and so overwhelming. And Jesus looks across and his heart, his insides begin to turn and he's moved with compassion when he sees the crowds. Because they were, what? As sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. He looks out across and he sees people who more than physical needs are harassed, tormented, frustrated, distraught because their life needs something more than just going to work and going to sleep and doing it over and over again. See, even today where we're at, where we're at is this. We have tried to get wealth. We have tried to get new cars, new houses. We tried to get even new spouses. 
We try to get new families. We try everything so that we can actually fill the hole in our lives. And it causes us pain and it begins to harass and actually bring pain in our lives. And we begin to ask the question, what purpose do I have? And even when people reach the pinnacle of life and career, Tom Brady, after winning the Super Bowl, the quarterback of the Super Bowl champions in this long interview, he was talking and they come down to a point and he says, I'm not really for sure what else is next and what else I'm supposed to do. Is there something more? (laughs) And this is the guy that everybody was at that moment, at that time going, man, I wish I could be him. He has everything. He just won. He's He's the quarterback for goodness sake. He had everything. And yet he's still wondering, it doesn't seem like it fulfills. And Jesus looks out across and let me make sure we understand the need that he's seeing is not just that they're sick and they're hurting and that they need physical help. Because so often, especially in our mindset, this is what we want. In the Western mindset, we want a life that has no pain, no suffering. But let's be honest, life is hard, but God is good. We want a place in which we can say it's not, we want ease. And Jesus looks out across and says, there's more to this. They're harassed and in their souls, they're asking the question, what else is next? We are lost and we're seeking something. They were seeking religion. They were seeking even after that, they were going to other gods. They were looking for something to fulfill. And they were lost without a guide and without somebody saying, this is the way. And Jesus is moved with compassion because he sees the great need. Our greatest need, our greatest need is that we actually see God for who he is and worship him as God. And you ready for this? And then we enjoy him as our greatest goal. Your car won't satisfy, your job won't satisfy, nothing else will satisfy. And when you look out across When you look out across the people you come in contact with, they're all the same. They're all looking for something to fulfill. Wasn't it amazing to watch the parade of athletes come in for the Olympics? Just to watch and you see all the smiles, you see all the waves, you see the the excitement, the dancing. And then as you watched over the last few weeks, did you notice that even if you were from Germany and you lost, you were still upset? Or if you were from America and you lost, you were still upset. Did you see the eyes? Did you see the tears? Did you see the pain? No matter what country you come from, there was still the sweet victory of success, the jubilation that followed, the hugs, the laughter, the smiles. No matter what country you came from, there was still the agony of defeat. And Jesus looked across the multitude and here's what he was seeing. They needed something more than just average. They needed something more than just getting up and going fishing and coming home. They needed something more than just physical healing. They needed something more. They were lost without a shepherd and the need was so great. He said, I've got to do something. Here we go. 
Let me finish up. So then Jesus says this. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest gives us from the prophets, from the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, the wrath of God is coming. And there would be a time and there will be a place, even as you get into it a little bit further, Jesus talks about this time in which the believers and non-believers would be separated. There is a harvest coming in which God brings his wrath on those who have not believed when God brings his joy to those who have believed and trusted him. There is a harvest coming. He uses this same imagery here, and he says the harvest is plentiful. There are many, there are many out there who actually desire God, desire to want to follow him, but they don't know him. They haven't heard him. They don't even know how to follow God because they're lost without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Can I ask a question? Who's the laborer at this point, at this time? How many? The answer is Jesus. He's the one. John the Baptist, no longer at a point where he's able to minister. Jesus is the lone laborer at this time. Yes, his disciples are following. Yes, his disciples are hearing. And yes, there are many who would actually be considered disciples at this time. There are many who are going from place to place that Jesus is ministering. But at this moment, at this time, there's only one who's actually doing the mission and actually expanding the kingdom. Are you following? If there's only one, and if the region's 40 by 70, and if there's over around 3 million people, there's over 200 towns... And yet we're not even talking about the whole world. Can the mission be accomplished with just one? Even if you're Jesus. The answer is what? No, it can't be done because he's limited himself in physical body to actually be in one place at one time and not around the whole world. So the question begins to be, what is Jesus going to do and how is Jesus going to move from this ministry of one to actually allowing the ministry to expand and the kingdom to actually have global impact? How do you do it? Well, you can't stay single anymore, can you? You have to actually enlist others to join in. You have to actually expand and say, okay, I need more people to be laborers and workers alongside because only one person can't do it, including Jesus alone. He wasn't going to do the work of the whole world by himself. So here we are. Jesus makes a statement. There's a big harvest. There's plenty of work to be done. He's overwhelmed at how many people need him. How many people need to hear of him? And so Jesus says this, therefore pray earnestly, to the Lord of the harvest, to do what? To bring a bigger harvest? To send what? More people, right? More workers, more laborers. Jesus does this. He's very interesting. Because many of us, as we prayed for a church, as we prayed for this church, as we prayed for this church to, to be what it's called to be, 
And maybe even in your own life, you've called and you prayed and said, God, would you increase my harvest? Would you increase what I'm doing? Would you just bless and multiply the efforts? We so often go to the end result and Jesus comes back to, you wanna see a larger harvest? What do you need? More laborers. This area, we've talked about it over and over again. South Dallas region. Currently, it is said that there are one million people who do not claim a church at all. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. For some reason, they're disconnected from God. For some reason, they're away from God. For some reason. And the question becomes, if the laborers are few, how do we get more laborers? It starts with prayer. See, Luke tells us that in this interval, Jesus goes up on the side of a mountain and does what? He prays. And he prays all night before he selects the 12. He prays all night. When was the last time that you and I prayed that God would bring more workers? When was the last time when we actually prayed and asked God to do a larger harvest? Maybe when's the last time we've actually been moved to tears for the great need around us? So here's where I need to end and here's how we're gonna end. I have three things that I just simply wanna bring out from the text today as action steps that we need to follow, that we need to look at and look at in our own lives. Number one, ready? Being moved with compassion starts with seeing the need. It sounds simple, but here's what we have done. We have so packed our schedules with busyness that we rarely see the needs of people. Busyness becomes our greatest enemy. So we rarely, rarely stop to actually look into somebody's eyes and actually see the pain and the hurt and see what's going on. We stop long enough to say, I'll pray for you, and then we move right on. And here's what happens. Our hearts are rarely moved. Our intestines are rarely squeezed with pain and suffering. Our stomachs rarely get butterflies and begin to move because we are not really seeing the great need. Your clients, your co-workers, the people you live next to, the people you come in contact with, let me ask, are we even close to being moved with compassion for their need? And if not, Lord, help us. If we're not, then let's make it a matter of prayer. God, help me to see their eyes. Help me to see their eyes so that I see their pain, so I can see what's going on. Help me to stop long enough to see what's going on. Number two, a great harvest begins with prayer for laborers. A great harvest begins with prayer for laborers. Here's my prayer and here's the prayer that I'm asking that we would have today. 
as a church. While we're looking at, yes, new things for the fall, yes, we're looking at what is going on in our church. What if we began to pray for new laborers? What do you mean by that? Well, if you really like a choir, what if we started praying for musicians to actually who could sing? Not that you in choir can't sing. That's not, that really came out wrong. <laughs> Holy cow. I am so sorry. That's not what I meant. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, let me rephrase that. Let's pray for more people who can sing. That's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> Shame on me. Okay, you got to pay attention to Heath. All right. <laughs> that threw me off. Okay. We need to pray. What if we started praying? You, you, you get the point. If we're really going to get serious and we really want to see God do a work in our church, if we really want to see God do more through us and we want to see a bigger harvest, then let's start at the very beginning. Yes, our hearts are going to become compassionate for people, Right? Second, let's pray for the holes. Let's pray for where we're maybe lacking and let's pray that God would send us laborers who could actually come in and work alongside so that we actually do what God's called us to do. Wouldn't that be a great change? I'm wearing my bracelet today, prayer works. God is doing great things. But what if we got serious about praying very specifically? I love the fact that Jesus did not call the 12 until after he prayed. He didn't even try to do something new. Here we are. Let's pray for more laborers. Because the reality is this, going into the fall, whether it's new Sunday school classes so that we have the 9 a.m., we have more Sunday school classes for this service. By the way, did you like a little bit more classic service today? Was that better? Did you like the music? Okay. We're, we're trying to listen. We're looking at changing that, and that will be something for the rest of the semester. We're going to go more classic. Let's see how it works. Let's see if that actually helps us drive this service to actually be what it's called to be. September 16th, that's a Sunday night. September 16th, we have a Southern Gospel group that's going to be coming through. I'll be getting more information out there to you. They were known as Shiloh before. Um, one of the guys that was on that group, who's the leader of that group, they've now changed the name, but I'm friends with him. And so I've already scheduled him for September 16th. That's a Southern Gospel group. So we're going to try our best to make sure that this thing gets as much as we can to get it going. But what we need is laborers. We need laborers. And we need God to bring us new laborers for all the efforts. So would you pray with me that God would send more laborers? Number three, here's the last one. <laughs> As you begin to pray, then here's the question that begins to happen. What part is God calling you to? You start having praying for compassion. You start praying for God to send more laborers. The natural result is God, okay, now what do you want me to play? What part? William Tyndale, back in the 1500s, as he began to study the apostles, and as he studied the apostles, he, was over, he just became just amazed at the averageness of them, the ordinariness. And as he began to study their lives, he also studied how they wrote. And if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of John, you look at even the letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. They all wrote to common people. They all wrote to 
the average person so that the average person could read and understand what they were writing. And William Tyndale, as he began to hear and as he began to study, here's the question he began to ask. He began to go through England and ask the question to all the clergy, which one is your favorite apostle? And he begins to ask the question, can you tell me the names of the apostles? And he found that very few clergy could even list the names of the apostles, let alone the people in the pew. And William Tyndale began to ask the question, what does God want me to do? And you know what he ends up doing? He begins translating the Bible from Latin to English so that the common person could pick up a Bible and could read it for themselves. And as he translates, he goes through great persecution, great pain, great suffering, just to translate the New Testament. And at the end of his life, he's beaten, strangled, and burned at the stake. All for translating the Bible so that average people could read the Bible in English. I don't know what God's calling you to do. Hopefully it's not to be burned at the stake. But I do know this, that we all have a part. We all have a part. And this work that God has called us to, there is a huge harvest waiting to be done in this area. There's a huge harvest. And God is calling us to do something. So would you pray for more laborers? Or would you pray and ask God what is your plan? so that we do 